Kate T. Bennett Stenton, a senior B2B marketing professional with a real interest in digital transformation, change management and amazing content. I live in Melbourne, Australia with my husband and two mostly delightful children. Having worked in marketing roles in the UK, US and Australia, I've met many inspiring people and benefited enormously from the power of network and community. In this Katie Talks podcast series, I uncovered the stories of influencers sharing their thought-provoking business and leadership insights. And I don't think I've ever had a conversation that is so relevant. My guest today is Hayam Sakakini, a transformational change consultant who is passionate about discovering what great companies do different from the rest, what great leaders do, what kind of culture they have, and how they nurture and develop that culture. And we're about to clock over six months of working from home and homeschooling due to COVID in Melbourne. Uh, these are all things that I've been thinking about heaps, and I'm, so I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Hi, Anne, welcome. Thank you so much for having me, Katie. Really excited to be here. Uh, look, I'm really, really looking forward to it. And, you know, I think some of the, or all of the areas that um, that you spend your life focusing on are uh, so relevant in this strange COVID way of, of working. I think it's going to be a really good conversation. Yeah, definitely. This has definitely thrown a lot of cards up into the air as far as the workplace is concerned so it's been really interesting just to watch myself what's been happening and um, see how people are reacting to the circumstances they've been thrown into. Awesome well let's get into it. You're a specialist in change management and a keen studier of what great companies do that is different and we've been hearing an awful lot about trust in a professional context. Um, talk me through this. So trust, I suppose, whether it's in a professional or personal context, it's not too dissimilar. Sometimes we're in a, um, you know, a group of people, be it a team or be it, you know, you're out and about with your, your, your group of friends um, and a topic comes up and you might feel uncomfortable to speak your mind. Maybe there is a kind of group consensus happening in that particular situation um, that you are, are worried about going against the grain. Um, so it's those moments of um, holding back, potentially fear of judgment. Um, those are the tiny little um, minutes that potentially, do you, if you did step forward, so, you know, problems could be solved or you could change somebody else's perspective. So I kind of look at trust in those little milliseconds or micro moments where people decide to step forward or hold back. Um, and it could be in a personal or a professional context. Um, because I do believe that's in, it's in those moments that potential um, opportunities um, are sitting and waiting to be harnessed. That's, that's really interesting. I'd love to understand a bit more about that. So, you know, I'm familiar with Maslow's hierarchy of needs, but what, getting into that a bit more, what, what does, what can success look like and what does psychological safety in the workplace look like? Yeah, it's such a, a buzzword now, psychological safety in the workplace. Um, when we see uh, teams that have high levels of psychological safety, we invariably see teams that um, feel empowered to make decisions, knowing it, those decisions are obviously in line with company goals and values. 
um, we generally see um, a flat structure, not too much hierarchy um, that allows innovation to flourish. We, um, we feel like we can make decisions and own those decisions as if we almost own the business. Mm-hmm. Uh, and even if we make mistakes, um, we don't hide them. That can, that's a, a real differentiator in businesses with high psychological safety. Mistakes are inevitable. The difference is that they're not hidden. In fact, they're shared so that they're not duplicated. Okay. And others avoid making those same mistakes, right? Mm-hmm. Um, people can learn uh, from mistakes. And sometimes even in those learnings, innovation can happen. I think we all know of great products and services out there that have been born as a result of a mistake. For example, I guess, um, uh, post-it notes. Uh, were, were as a result of a, a mistake made in the lab. Uh, and, uh, you know, the, the whole story behind it is they were trying to create some kind of strong adhesive. They ended up with a very weak adhesive. And, um, yeah, see, the result was that you could... I didn't know that. Of paper off. <laughs> yes, yeah. Um, and, and, and lo and behold, a, a runaway success was born um, out, of a, out of a mistake. So I think... Um, knowing that leaders demonstrating that mistakes are fine, that they can be learned from, um, that you know in how you deal with them is the main the main thing, mm-hmm. uh, is really really important. Well, that's really interesting. What is it about the the a structure being flat that adds to psychological safety? Yeah. It's interesting. The, the old models of hierarchical teams are, are changing, especially mm-hmm. now as we move to a more distributed workforce. Um, we're noticing that we're becoming a network of teams, of more of a matrix structure, that individuals can belong to two or more teams, um, and that uh, the, the, the goal is really project delivery as opposed to being defined as solely in one team. Um, and in one area. And I think that, you know, is, is great in terms of career progression, being exposed to many facets of a business, um, to, to the customer from many angles versus just one angle. Um, it creates empathy across the business. Um, and yeah, it just means that there is less need for those hierarchical structures. Um, so it's great to see because I personally believe those hierarchical structures are um, where time is lost looking mm. for uh you know approvals and red tape to be cut and so on and so forth to get an idea up the line or a request for budget up the line and and so on and so forth so the more we can break down those structures the quicker we can move and really being agile in today, today's world world is super super important for businesses Oh, isn't it? And and you know everything you've described there is is very much the way that I like to work. Having having that autonomy to, uh, you know, to really make some some key decisions and and just really push along, be innovative in in what I'm doing rather than need to be constantly checking back and and seeking approval. Exactly, and being treated as the adult that you are, I mean, in yes. your personal world, I'm sure that you make very big decisions all the time, whether it's to do with your kids or potentially parents or potentially a mortgage, you know, mm. but, you know, big, big decisions. Yeah. So why should you be stripped of that capacity when you enter the workplace? Surely that's what you're hired for. So, yes. it's yeah, it's an interesting 
thing that happens when we enter the workplace in terms of those that capacity not being valued or used. Oh, right. Yeah, you're right. Harnessing those elements rather than um, diminishing them. Yeah. Yeah, that's a very good point. Absolutely. <laughs> so, Hian, yeah, as a follow-up to that, what does the absence of trust in the workplace look like? That's a funny one. Everybody um, that I ask that question to, whether it's um, you know clients that I work with, roundtable discussions that I have, this one is easy for people to answer. They throw out so many examples and it makes me laugh. And I hear the same things over and over again when I say, what does absence of trust look like? And uh, the same things come up, things like hiding information, information that we know might be useful to a colleague or another team. That seems yeah. to be one that comes up. Um, covering your back, which usually results in a million people being CC'd on an email, potentially, which then clogs up. Uh, in boxes and, and waste a hell of a lot of time, but feeling okay. like you have to see, see everybody in. Yeah. Um, another thing is too many meetings and too many people in those meetings. There's, there's, yeah. there's no, um, no, it's not necessary for those, that many people to be there in order for that meeting to be successful or some kind of outcome to be achieved, but feeling that um, we have to include people so they feel informed. Um, again, what I mentioned before, a lot of red tape, uh, lots of layers, lots of wasted time to make decisions, uh, lots of approvals required. Um, and there, again, you'll notice that there's just lack of innovation. This, this organization is not coming up with anything new, anything mm -hmm. uh, creative to meet their customer needs. Um, very much internal focused and not external focused. Uh, there may be also a huge amount of fear, just a, a general um, environment of fear that people are operating in so it's not fun i would imagine overall i would imagine it would be an uninspiring place to work <laughs> there people would feel very much like a cog in a wheel yeah. um i would imagine there'd be a lot of stress uh, absenteeism sick leave high churn rates employees leaving i would imagine that you know people wouldn't talk very favorably about the organization which might lead to uh, you know, recruitment issues, which again then means you're lowering the bar in terms of uh, hiring. So it, it becomes then a self-fulfilling prophecy uh, in terms of what it can do to a workplace having low trust. Ugh. I was feeling so... Not fun. Um, <laughs> no, I was feeling, <laughs> totally. I was feeling void after the talk about um, psychological yeah. safety in the workplace. And now I'm just thinking, mm, I'm feeling really quite flat, but let's move on to something much more positive. Um, you mentioned <laughs> at the start of our discussion uh, distributed teams, and I'm really keen, you know, given that I'm recording this uh, while hiding in my bedroom away from children, uh, <laughs> which is the quietest part of the house. When we spoke earlier, you talked about interconnected but distributed teams and that that's really critical in the way that we're all working from home right now. So um, can we can we dig into that? I'd love to hear some more about your thoughts around this. Yeah, it's interesting overnight, globally, we've kind of been thrown into this mad workplace experiment and um, everything from where we work, how we work, everything has changed super quickly and we're still trying to get our heads around it. Um, but yeah, remaining interconnected while we are essentially socially isolated has been a huge trend in terms of topic of discussion. Um, so what I've noticed 
is that we've lost those incidental interactions that we would yeah. have had in a, in a place, in an office place, yeah. those kind of water cooler conversations, coffee chats, just passing each other, going over to somebody's desk. It's all gone. And we're trying to replace that with a lot of virtual meetings. So we have all of our general uh, in-person in meetings are now replaced with virtual meetings. Then those interactions, we're trying to replace those with you know, Friday wind down sessions or whatever it might be. Um, and so there is a lot of that um, interaction over Zoom or Teams. It's really becoming super draining. So now I'm noticing after people have flipped from one t completely to the other, they're now starting to find a little bit of space in between uh, where you can be connected without having to just default into a virtual meeting. Um, and that's really lovely to see. People are having, for example, walks at going out and actually meeting, but socially distancing and actually having a, a human to human walk with one mm. another instead of your typical one to one meeting over Zoom or what, or maybe a phone call. And, you know, leaders are now seeing that they need to actually ask their employees to leave the house if possible. You know that there's different levels of lockdown in different areas, but you know, let's do our meeting over, you know, good old fashioned phone. I want yeah. to hear your feet hit the pavement. Yeah. Um, okay. So we're seeing a little bit more of that. And I think that's, that's really helpful. Yes. Um, and I just think overall, the when people do go back into the workplace, you know, it's going to look very, very different. And maybe the workplace will be used for, from more of a collaboration point of view, rather than I go in there to sit down and do my work and leave nine to five. So I think there'll be a whole different definition of what interconnected looks like in the workplace and it's evolving slowly, which is great to see. Really mm. enjoying it. Are you, it. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm really interested in that element. I mean, there are, this possibly sounds like a somewhat insensitive or crass thing to say, but there, you know, the vast bulk of the impact of COVID-19 is just indescribably horrific. But if we set that to one side, I'm, I'm fascinated to, to understand, you know, from your perspective whether, and it sounds like there are, but whether you do see that there will be real benefits potentially for, um, you know, for professional people in terms of what, what their working world or the balance that they'll have in their lives going, going forward. Is there are some positives there for you? Yeah, I do believe, I mean, I've been listening to um, a lot of uh, survey results that have been put out there. A lot of people have been surveyed during this time in, in their organizations asking, would they like to go back to work full time? Would they prefer mm. uh, full, you know, uh, remote or distributed? And the vast majority are coming back with um, something in between. So not full time back in the office not full-time, you know, remote, but something where they have, say, for example, uh, two days a week in the office um, or, or something in between. So there seems yeah. to be this not necessarily new normal, but new better emerging, which I'm loving. Yeah. Um, because I think it levels the playing field. I think it levels the playing field from a gender perspective because men and women can make those choices now, not just it used to be just women asking and eventually having to, you know, prove themselves to a point where they were allowed that flexibility mm. across the board makes a lot more sense. 
Um, so, you know, it's, it's really interesting to see the, the changes that are, are happening and that um, it's being accommodated, which I think yeah. makes just good business sense. You know, people are now having um, a lot less office space to potentially pay for. They're looking mm-hmm. at downsizing or sharing that space with other organizations or companies. It actually is starting to look like, you know, you can you can potentially reduce costs in a way that increases um, workplace appreciation. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And appreciating your workplace more only leads to better outcomes for, well, for all concerned, doesn't it? Absolutely. Right. So I think yeah. we'll just notice that because people have been dying to get back into the office to a, to a certain degree. Oh, yes. um, and I think, you know, <laughs> having that little bit of normality back and yeah. that ability to have different kinds of conversations um, <laughs> and enjoy that human to human interaction. We're social beings. We prefer having yeah. social interaction. It's the way yeah. we're wired. Oh, and, you know, this is week five of stage four restrictions for for us in Melbourne. And there's certainly been on my mind a bit at the moment, uh, just that feeling at times a bit like a caged animal. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) You know, I do remember hearing, you know, every time you went out, you really weren't supposed to be out for longer than an hour. It really did feel like you were a caged Mm. animal looking out the window at the world. Yes. A very yeah. eerie world as well. You know, very, no cars, no buses, no trains, no nothing. Yeah. No, nothing. It's yes. really quite strange. It's a bit dystopian. But, uh, anyway, let's continue talking about some more positive things. Um, <laughs> uh, hey, Am, I'm keen to delve a bit further into um, the distributed teams. And I know from our earlier conversation that there are five levels of distributed teams. I'd, I'd love if you could if you could walk me through those, please. Yeah, well, I've absolutely stolen this from a article I read um, with an uh, an interview with Matt Mullenweg, who's the founder of WordPress, mm-hmm. um, and now um, an umbrella organisation uh, that includes WordPress called Automatic. And he set up WordPress from the get-go to be fully distributed. That was his goal. So it's something that um, pre-COVID it, he had aimed for. Okay. Um, and and so he's, I guess, at the forefront of knowing what these levels look like. And he describes levels, well, five different levels. So he describes the first level as just, you know, the, the way things are, you know, in the traditional sense, which is everyone is supposed to be in a physical business area or location um, and that, you know, we're, we're really stuck in having, uh, you know, uh, that, that kind of centralized approach, mm-hmm. even though it doesn't necessarily make sense anymore from a knowledge worker perspective. We do have all the tools and technology required um, that, you know, if we, if we wanted to be fully distributed, we can, but it's just that traditional feeling of we need to be seen, we need to be in an office, we need to be present. Um, that's the reason why we do that. Yes. Level two, he talks about as, you know, we're, we're now distributed. We're, we're moving out of the office into our, you know, another space, a local space, whether it's our home or whatever it might be. Um, but we're very much recreating the habits of the office. So it's still nine to five. Instead of a in-person meeting, we're having a Zoom meeting for an hour uh, where people talk over each other the loudest voice wins 
that kind of situation. Um, so really we're not leveraging this technology. We're just using it to recreate what we know and feel is normal. Um, then I think he, he talks about level three being we're actually starting to adapt to the medium, which is, uh, you know, we're, we're actually leveraging uh, the, all the various um, cloud technologies, like, for example, instead of uh, a meeting where everybody's talking, we're now, we now have a, a doc open where we are um, collaborating together on that doc. You can see everybody um, adding their comments. Uh, questions and, and we're actually leveraging um, technology and what's available to us to actually have better meetings than we would have ever had previously. Mm. Mm -hmm. um, so things start to to move into a, um, a place where uh, things then become quite goal orientated um, we're having shorter meetings. For example, I think a lot of people are leveraging agile practice of stand-ups um, every day for 10 minutes. Yeah, you know, things are drastically reducing in terms of the time we need because we're leveraging the mediums to such a great effect. Mm -hmm. um, so that's that's what uh, level three looks like. And then level four is really interesting because I feel like this is where, you know, um, organizations could really start moving towards. And that's where we are. We are really working in a way that suits us. So if it suits me to meditate in the morning, go for a swim, and then start work at a certain time, then I know that's when I'm going to do my best work. Yeah, That's great mm -hmm. for me. And there sure. is no requirement for me to be you know, online from a certain time to a certain time. Mm -hmm. um, it's all about outcomes. It's all about results. It's not about the inputs. It's not about presenteeism at all anymore. Um, so, and, and what that means then is that you can create a team of people from anywhere in the world. This really starts opening up the talent yes. pool not to be yes. geographically in a certain location. Um, so what happens then is if you do just, if you think about that, it means you can find the best people from anywhere in the world to work mm -hmm. on a project, which is really exciting. Um, and we get really good at handing the baton over to each other, um, and, and really, uh, projects can have almost like a, a you know teams can work almost 24 7 based in yeah. the fact that they might be in different locations around the world so I think that's really interesting I'm, I'm excited to see where that goes mm. um, and then he talks about level five which is this nirvana where everybody <laughs> is tell me healthy and well and they do basically <laughs> the work fits around their world so if they surf you know, the conditions are right. They head off and surf and <laughs> do yoga and, and, you know, do, you know, in the middle of a conference, they might be, uh, they might be having lunch with their family. There is no rules anymore, but great work is done because people feel um, really empowered to be well. Um, and again, it's all about everyone is now working at a higher level uh, and in a, in a fully distributed way. So I'm not sure if I've totally captured oh. his sentiment in that. That's what I took from uh, yes. his five levels of distributed teams. And he thinks that, you know, one way you know if you've reached nirvana is that you no longer have one email in your inbox. Email is almost gone because you're leveraging every other way of communicating to such a high effect. So whether it be Slack, Asana, all the different tools that are out yeah. there for different reasons, it means that almost email is no longer needed. What a wonderful thought, hey? Well, that, that indeed does sound like Nirvana. <laughs>
just just that part right there <laughs> imagine you, imagine oh, that I love that I, I you know as you as you got higher up I was sort of thinking oh yeah well how can we make that better because already you know level three was already sounding terribly appealing great are there organizations are there organizations that are level five nirvana I don't think he thinks his organization is e is even there yet. I think okay. this is something he's even aspiring towards. Um, he does talk about other things which are really interesting, heading towards that nirvana, nirvana stage and that, you know, the vast majority of communication is, is over the written word. Yeah. And, um, you know, hiring for that capability actually becomes really important. Um, so if you think about your typical recruitment interview, it's usually verbal, right, over yes. a, a phone call or whatever it might be. Yes. But actually assessing people's written um, communication skills will be, become even more important as you head into that into that world. And that, you know, really being able to live your culture through the written word is going to be another one, always um, defaulting to um, perceiving others uh, positively because yes. um, so much yeah. can, can be interpreted the wrong way from the written words so this well, is going to be interesting right uh, yeah I mean I think the I think it's about seven percent is generally acknowledged of communication the element sorry let me say that again that was clumsy in terms of the way that we communicate only about seven percent is the words that are actually used or written. I mean, the vast yeah. part of it is, yeah. is is all those other things, you know, body language, tone of voice, um, exactly. all those elements which you lose if it's merely written. Absolutely. So you start, then that's open to interpretation. Yeah. And then from there, so much can fall through the cracks. Uh, so it's really interesting, um, you know, the, the way behaviours play out through uh, various um, forms of uh, channels, I suppose, communication channels, is it's really interesting, um, and that's where you know he that's what what he start is thinking about from his team and organisation's perspective. Oh, I'm going to go away and do some research on him this afternoon. He sounds fascinating. Yeah. <laughs> it was a really interesting read, I must say. Well. And I mean, the whole thing is, given that we're working, we're all, well, the vast bulk of, sorry, many of us are working remotely at the moment. It does, to a very large extent, enable us to set ourselves up in the ways that, that work better for us. I mean, even in our household, I'm an early morning person, so I get up and take the dog for mm. a run and then have breakfast with my son who's also a morning person whereas my husband mm. is a night owl as is our daughter and so he is up working you know well past when I've gone to bed but then you know yeah. we'll often fit in a few things during the day when I'm sort of sitting at laptop so it's that's also been a really interesting evolution just in in my own little bubble to observe yeah, absolutely. I'm noticing that just as you say that myself with our family unit, that there is the kind of preferences playing out in the house. I'm definitely first to bed in the evening, mm. um, you know, and my husband would definitely be the night the night owl and he'll do a bit of work um, before maybe putting on a movie or something. But yes, yeah. you're right. We are all kind of moving into that space of uh, maybe we're at level 
three or in in the house and level two in the workplace I don't know but mm-hmm. yeah it's interesting that you've you've spotted that I didn't myself until now well done oh well you 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 um you prompted it with the the discussion so thank you <laughs> now I'm keen to um to get into that in a little bit more detail how how do you set up a team for success when there are divergent views about what an ideal operating model looks like? And I even, just from conversations, sorry, just before I hand over to you to answer the question, I, I just even within teams that I'm a part of and, and talking talking to friends and people within my network, some people who are much more introverted are actually really happy with the current setup. Right? <laughs> It, it's feeding them and it works really well for them. Whereas, you know, pe- other people who are more extroverts like me uh, are really struggling and missing that social connection. So I'm really yeah. interested in, in your thoughts on, on this front. Yeah, it's it's funny, isn't it? Um, well, I mean, the fir- I think like in a home um, where we might decide, you know, what are our kind of goals this year as a, you know, as a family, what do we want to achieve? I think the same is, is true for um, a workplace. Um, now, more so than ever, I think we're going to have to renegotiate what is it we want to achieve yes. together as a team and how are we going to achieve that? What's, what's the, the operating model going to look like? What's the best way of working together? What do we all need? Mm-hmm. Um, and how can how can we work around those needs? So it really does boil down to those two very key key, key questions, and um, and they I think they need to be revised often. I think the typical strategic plan, whether it's annual or biannual, is not going to cut it anymore in the world that we're living now. We're going to have to revise our goals quarterly, quarterly, um, at a minimum and see what's really achievable what would, what do we want to double down and focus on and again how are we going to work together so that we can achieve those particular goals um, so the how is always really interesting you know at the beginning of any uh, client project I'll always say you know how do we want to work together you know what will make this yeah. project go really smoothly for you and we, we we write that up and we hold ourselves account to that and I ask you know can I hold you account to this um, and it's really interesting what we say and then what we end up doing are two very different things. So I definitely think you should not only make it very clear how we're going to work together, but almost appoint somebody to hold everyone to account to that mm. because they slip very quickly. Um, and then I think one thing I've noticed is, um, again, the shorter cycles seem to be working in the times that we're in, you know, biweekly sprints. Uh, retrospectives where we review how the last two weeks went Mm -hmm. did we hold ourselves to the how we want to be together and if not why not what's working for us what's not working for us so really reviewing how we're working and what we're working on you know in in short little sprints maybe every two weeks seems to work for um, teams and and just carving out that time don't let that time slip away that that's really interesting do you do you think that that move to a to a much shorter cycle from a planning perspective will continue as we as and when we start to come out of the you know the current unusual covid existence 
I think people were working towards that before COVID, to be honest. We'd heard so, we've heard so much about traditional organization adopting kind of agile practices, mm, which were true. traditionally more for the software development world, um, but seem to be easy to adapt into any team, any organization. Uh, so I think that was a trend pre-COVID. Now, I think that's just been accelerated because it yeah. just seems to work yeah. uh, for distributed teams quite well. Um, and people are doing it in their own way. They're, they're you know, sometimes a, a, a morning stand-up can be 10 minutes for some teams. And I've actually even heard stand-ups can go as long as two hours. I don't know if that's really <laughs> technically a stand-up, but the goal is there for it to be shorter and shorter. Yeah, um, sure. And I think the point is that people are realizing that more frequent communication works better mm. when we are um, fully distributed. Um, so that, but shorter, I think people are very yeah. much getting um, tired and uh, potentially a little bit stressed with, with far too many meetings and mm. um, if they're jamming up our calendars. Yeah, well, and I read some research recently from... Microsoft um, talking about Zoom fatigue and the fact that it, it's more yeah. it's more taxing and more tiring for people than than face to face meetings. It is. It is. I don't know why there is some science behind us um, as to why it is more draining. Um, it's just not natural, I suppose, no. um, to be aware of so many things. I think you're kind of hyper aware when you see everybody quite up close and on a screen, you can, you're picking up on all these little, um, you know, cues and maybe a little bit of body language and you're trying to read. I think it's a little bit different to if you were sitting around a big table or in a, in an, in an office environment. Yeah. Um, I think we're just, our brains are, are not tuned into this yet. Um, and it's taking a lot out of us, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So you mentioned that you've seen significant changes in the ways that many organisations are working and you know you talked about lots of teams sort of trying a new mini sprint approach, so test and learn, learn, launch and iterate, which is really encouraging from a cross-team collaboration perspective when people are in different locations. Um, I'd love to hear a bit more about some of your observations. Yeah, it's amazing to, to see, um, as I mentioned pre-COVID, I think some of the organizations I worked with were really just dabbling in this, but more leaning towards their traditional structures and, um, you know, uh, processes, whereas now there is a lot more beyond dabbling and really embedding uh, these principles and tools and ceremonies into their um, daily, weekly, fortnightly activities. Um, and what I really am noticing is that uh, there's more with all of this, what, what kind of is emerging is that teams and organizations are more comfortable with putting things out that are not 100% perfect. Because the whole point around this is, as you mentioned, just their launch, iterate, test, learn, yeah. um, constantly evolve. Um, whereas previously, you know, putting something out that wasn't entirely perfect for some organizations, especially those that had excellence, for example, in their mm. values would have been unheard of. And um, so I think we're learning from this that uh, things don't have to be fully baked and perfect before they go out, you know, maybe to a small group of customers to test and mm. get some feedback on. 
Yeah. Um, things are are you are able to to put something out that you can you know learn from and and change and um it, it will evolve as customer needs evolve. So it's it's teaching us sure. to be happy with the imperfect, constantly listen to the customer. Customer centricity is key. Um, and that, that's definitely something that, that's coming out as a result of these new ways of working. And also just for, for clients, not for clients, but for organizations just to remain relevant in the times that we're in. You know, the yes. needs of people yeah. are changing dramatically. Yeah. Um, yeah. So what they, what they specialized in before might just not be necessary now or relevant or even possible. So they're having to pivot and try new things quickly. Um, and that's, yeah, that's the kind of practices that is perfect for that. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, there are lots of examples of organisations and people doing that superbly. In fact, one that comes to mind for me, uh, a friend told me about Stage Kings, who were an organisation in Sydney who previously uh, worked on, on large events, large live events and yeah. staging and whatnot and and their business in march died overnight or you know hit the wall and yeah. they pivoted to making some really great stuff um like desks and laptop stands and monitor stands and a whole lot of stuff that they'd simply never done before and i've had six months working at the dining table with four recipe books propping up my laptop to a decent level and on yeah. Friday, ordered a laptop yeah. stand from them, which arrived th this morning, Wednesday. And, yeah. you know, what five pieces, grooves, easy to put together, even as someone who is challenged by IKEA, you know, I did it in <laughs> about a minute. And it's awesome. And I just think that's such a superb example of, of, uh, of innovation and you know being being faced with the horrendous reality that your revenue has dried up overnight mm -hmm. um and yeah. just you know and just such a such a phenomenal example of that absolutely and that's such a great example as well as uh kind of looking at things in in terms of well what hasn't changed you know um we still have a great team we have mm. great talent we have ideas we can we have other opportunities. What are the, you know, so, so you've got to, I suppose, what what a lot of organizations can fall into is looking at what they've lost or yes. what they haven't got anymore. And I think the organizations that seem to be doing okay or well out of this is they're looking at what they do have and yeah. they're looking at how they can repurpose that. And more often than not, what they have are great people, motivated people, people with diverse talents. Um, so I think that's, what I'm noticing when when those organizations do completely make a 180 I mean that's a great example um, of an organization that went from staging events to mm. distributing furniture yeah yeah furniture mm -hmm. yeah wow Fab. and you know it's scanty and minimalist looking and it's awesome but you know even if it was a bit ugly I love the story I would support them yeah Right, exactly. Yeah. And we've we've heard some great stories of, I don't know, um, gin distributors that are now making hand sanitizer and yeah. stuff like that, uh -huh. and yeah. came out of all of this. So, so many, so many great examples, um, and then so many sad examples of organisations that just weren't set up culturally to mm. make that shift. It's it's asking a lot of an organisation, a huge amount, isn't it? So. And 
I know that you've you've said before that where that your observation is that where an organization's culture was at the start of COVID will have accelerated. So if you'd had lots of focus on your culture early on before the, all of this hit, you're likely to be in better shape. What why is that? I find that really interesting. Yeah, I mean, I think culture is not something that is going to evolve uh, in a good way unless it's intentional. So I do believe that companies that put a lot of intentional thought into the culture that they want it, into the behaviours that they want to see more of, the behaviours that will allow people to do their best work um, in our organisation, they have found that those, those values and the purpose behind that organization really helped to guide every single person, every single decision, every single interaction um, without the leaders necessarily needing to, to micromanage everything. So that's what I kind of meant by if you put okay. that thought and effort into your culture, um, you, you will probably have done okay, if not re, you know, well, um, with this type of massive disruption. People who have not, unfortunately, put a huge amount of effort um, and kind of let the culture evolve on its own, more often not than not, that culture ends up being quite low trust. And all the things that we noticed before in terms of what low trust can look like happen. Mm-hmm. And um, when, that, when that all happens and then some massive disruption comes along, like what we're seeing uh, with COVID, it only accelerates that, that air of, for example, um, low trust. Um, of micromanagement, of um, feeling disconnected from the organization, of feeling isolated, uncared for, devalued. That's only going to worsen with mm. um, the circumstances uh, that, that organizations have got in front of them. Well, I think that we need to end on a positive note, because most of yeah. this conversation has been uplifting and encouraging so yeah my last question although I would like to talk to you for hours is is there something through this period that has truly delighted you Mm. look I think what I've noticed is that um people in general have taken this pandemic as a personal opportunity to reflect and reset for themselves individually okay. mm-hmm. so many were running at a really unsustainable pace and you know this has afforded us a bit of time an unexpected opportunity just to pause and reflect on what's important to us be it family be it health be it friends be it whatever it might be we yeah. were having that time now to, to do that um and i think because of that workplaces are also going to to rethink their why to be more connected to that why. They, they will take this opportunity to clarify the value they create in the world. And that in, helps, that in turn kind of helps employees to solidify a sense of belonging and meaning in their work. Mm-hmm. So I'm hoping, this is my hope, and this is what I am seeing a little bit more of now, is um, organizations are rethinking their purpose, they're rethinking their values, they're reigniting passion in their employees. And that I know can be really hard, especially when, um, you know, there's layoffs, for example, happening. How do you motivate the people that are left behind? Yeah. Well, you know, really, really connect back into what you're here to do mm-hmm. um, and, 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 and just get back to that core piece. 
So I'm hoping that workplaces will be forever changed, but in a good way. Um, I think they'll be reimagined. I think the actual uh, you know, workplace is really going to be a mix of virtual and bricks and mortars in the future. Um, I don't think offices will be used for, you know, what we used to use them for. I think there'll be a place of connection and collaboration. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's going to change, I hope, forever. Yeah. Um, yes, like I said before, that I think the cards have been thrown up in the air and I'm really looking forward to seeing where they land. <sighs> I think it's, it's, it's good stuff ahead. What a glorious note to end on. Hi, Em, thank you so much. This has been such an interesting and incredibly thought-provoking conversation. Thank you for having me, Katie. It's been awesome. And thank you for listening to the Katie Talks podcast with me, Katie Bennett-Stenton. If you enjoyed this episode, it'd be great if you could take a few seconds to share it and review me on iTunes to help others find this fantastic content. I read all of the feedback and greatly enjoy it. I have some excellent thought leaders coming up in the in the series. Subscribe so that you don't miss a single episode. You can find me at Katie B Marketing on Twitter or Katie Bennett Stenton. <laughs>